Today we're going to continue with the Old Testament character series that we've been walking through. And we're just walking through right now, walking through the Bible chronologically. And in five or six sermons, we've covered some 3,000 years almost of human history, probably closer, I guess, to 2,700 years of human history, and today we're looking in the book of Judges at the story of Gideon and what that has to inform our lives and how we live and how we can believe and trust God. So you may be seated. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to reserve my text. I will... I will Uh, read my text here in just a moment. People have a lot of misconceptions about God. In fact, people sitting in this room, you may currently have a misconception about God or what you think about God, what you think that He's like or what you think that He does. But hopefully, as you are here and you learn the Word of God and you learn more about Him and you grow in your relationship with Him that your misconceptions will fade away and what you believe about God will be what is accurate about Him. There are some common misconceptions. One of those is this, is that God will solve all of my problems. Anybody ever thought, about, thought that? Or you, maybe when you first came to Jesus and you're like, man, when, if I become a follower of Jesus, all of my problems will go away. Anybody have that one? Don't be afraid. You can show your hands. Nobody? I got a few affirmatives out there. A lot more. I just know people. I know a lot of people, they think that. That's not necessarily true. He will be with us in our problems. And he will take us out of many of those problems, but he does not solve all of our problems. Another misconception that people have about God in our culture is there is no way God exists in a world full of suffering. It is the theodicy question that if God exists, why is there evil in the world and why do bad things happen to good people? But people almost never ask the converse of that. Why do good things happen to bad people? But that is a biblical principle where Jesus himself said it rains on the just and the unjust. And if you grow, or you're growing crops, the rain is a good thing. It's not a negative thing. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. But people will look at the world around us and go, man, God can't exist. Another misconception that people have about God is that God is waiting on me to make a mistake so He can judge me. You've probably seen the depictions of God as an old man with a big beard and He's not very friendly. He's not, he's not the old Santa Claus that's all nice and friendly. He's the old grumpy old man that's just waiting on you to make a mistake so He can judge you. But we know from Scripture that God is a God of grace, and He's a God of mercy, and He's a God of love. That misconception is unfounded in biblical truth. Another misconception 
is this, that God asks me to do impossible things because He wants me to fail. Have you ever felt like God asked you to do something that you couldn't do? Anybody? All right, a few of us. And a few others are not quite brave enough to raise your hand. Here's the deal. If God ever asks you to do something, we'll talk about this a little bit, He always equips you to do it. You don't have to worry on whether you have the ability. And the reality is you don't have the ability, but if you've got God, you've got everything you need. There is nothing else you need to accomplish the task but God when He asks you to do something. Another one is this. God isn't there when I need Him. This particular one is common. It is a common reason why people who follow God stop following Him. And maybe it is because there is a, an amalgamation of a number of these that people have. And, and it often, you've heard me say this, often people come to Jesus when they're having problems. When things are going bad in their life, they say, man, I'm going to try Jesus. Maybe that will work. And so... Uh, Preachers put this kind of stuff in alliteration when people are having trouble and tragedy and trauma and transition. They're like, I'm going to go and find God. I need God during this time. And many times what happens is that God will, in the middle of their trouble when they come to Him, God will work in their life and take care of all, whatever that particular problem is. As a sign that He is there, and as a sign that He's in control, and as a sign that He loves them, and as a sign that He has the power to do what they need. And then after serving God for a while, people run into difficulty. And they run into trouble, or tragedy, or trauma. Things going wrong in their life. And then... They decide that God isn't there because He would keep them from that trouble. People have trouble trusting God when trouble arises. Let me just ask a question. I don't want you to just look at me today, so I'm going to ask you a question. All right, on a show of hands, how many of you have ever had trouble trusting God at some point? Every hand should be lifted with your eyes still open. All of us, at times, something going on in our life, we're like, man, is God really there? Is He really going to take care of me? Is He really going to do what I need? It's a common, it's a common experience, but hopefully it is just a fleeting moment and it's not a, a weeks long or a months long or a years long uh, question of, is God really there? When trouble comes, it is difficult. John the Baptist, he was, of course, the forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist, the Bible said, was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And when Mary shows up, and John is still in the womb, and Mary's pregnant with the Messiah, that the babe leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. As John, even in the womb, that spirit recognized that Jesus the Messiah was close by and there's this reaction that goes on and he grows up no doubt knowing the story. I'm sure it wasn't widespread, but this is family is how 
that this is not really Joseph's son. This is, this is, a, this is the son of God because Mary, in, she conceived without having a relationship with a man. He knows all of this. He starts his ministry some six months before Jesus. And when Jesus comes on the scene, John declares to the world, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He declares Jesus to be the Messiah. He declares Him to be, not and understand this, He already knows, whether spiritually or intellectually, because of His Bible knowledge, He already knows that He's the Lamb that's going to take away the sin of the world. What does the Lamb do? It dies for sin. He knows that what's coming. He makes this declaration. But then just six months or so later, John finds himself in prison. And while he's in prison, what he knows turns to doubt. And he sends some of his disciples to Jesus. And he says to them, go ask Jesus if you're really the Messiah. Or should we look for another? What happened between his bold declaration of the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world? John's there when he baptizes Jesus and he knows all of this, but when he gets in prison and, and death is imminent, he's like, I don't know. Go ask Jesus. And Jesus' response is to, to list off the types of miracles that he's done. You go tell John that the lame walk and the blind see. You go and tell John, yeah, I'm really the I'm one he thought I was. I, I am that one. But difficulty and, and trouble and trial causes people to question. It is the human condition, or it is at least the fallen human condition. The text that I'm getting ready to read to you, it is the story, the beginning of the story of Gideon. After Moses passes off the scene, of course, Joshua takes over as commander of, of the armies of Israel and he's leading Israel. They go into the promised land. They conquer the land and at least they conquer most of it. They don't conquer everything God had told them. They just got tired of fighting. They quit short. That's another sermon for another day, but they stopped short of what God had told them to do. The last sermon that I preached in this series, Joshua, he's getting ready to pass off the scene and he, he makes, puts the question to him, are you going to serve God? And he makes the declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Israel has responded back, we're going to serve God. We're never going to go to other gods. We're never going to worship idols again. We're going to stick with God. Six chapters later, They have already begun this up and down process, serving God for a while, and then the next generation comes along and they don't know God, and God sends them into captivity, and then they repent, and they serve God again, and it's back and forth. It's already begun, and our story takes place in one of those down times where they have been punished because they sinned, and 
were turning to other gods. They did evil. And the Bible tells us that God handed Israel over to the nation of Midian for seven years, one of the shorter captivities they were in. And the Midianites and other neighboring countries come in and they stole all of the livestock and they would steal their crops and destroy the farmland or they would destroy the remaining crops that they did not steal. They would burn the fields. And Israel has prayed that God would send a prophet. And here is a truth that when we pray, God always responds. God always answers the prayers of His people. It may be yes, it may be no, it may be wait. But He always responds. He is not deaf to the cries of His people. He's not deaf to the prayers of His people. And so Israel has prayed and they're in this captivity, but they're praying for God to respond. And in the middle of this, our text Judges 6.11 says this, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing reed at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Here he is hiding, and the angel says, Mighty Hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it really is the Lord speaking to me. For the remainder of our time together, I want to finish by preaching this, a God you can trust. A God you can trust. Here is Gideon. He is threshing the grain. He's hiding in a wine press because if the Midianites see the grain, they're going to come and steal it. If they see what he's doing, they're going to come and take it away so he's hiding there, and when this angel appears to him and says, You're, hey, you mighty man of valor, as King James would say, or you mighty hero, as the version we read today would say, it's a little bit of an oxymoron. It doesn't really fit together. He's hiding. He's scared. He's afraid of what's going to happen. And the angel of the Lord says, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. And he's like, how do I know? How do I know that I can trust you? How do I know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do? 
I want you to understand this, that you and I must trust God's faithfulness. That we must trust that whatever He says, He's going to do. And in fact, Gideon asked this question, if you're with us, why are we in this place? Here's the deal, God did exactly what He said. You sin, this is what's going to happen. You disobey me, you turn to idols, this is what's going to happen. God has proved Himself to be faithful in His judgment, and He will prove Himself to be faithful in His deliverance. That in the good times or the bad times, we can trust that what God has said, He will bring to pass. Anybody ever found God to be faithful? Anybody ever put God to the test, whether it's financial or otherwise, that God always shows up and God always does what He says He will do? He is not a man that He should lie or the Son of Man that He should lie. He will always do what He says. He is a God that we can trust even when we have not been faithful to Him. God will often intervene in our lives. Once again, I talked about this misconception that if we do something wrong, God's waiting to judge us. I've told this story before. Most of you are probably not here. When I told it, I'm not going to get anywhere near through my notes, so you can just read the, the points I was going to make on, in the app or online. I was 19 years old working for Nolan Road Auto Parts. Anybody remember that story? I knew you weren't paying attention when I told it before, so I'm going to... I was a delivery driver. And when Nolan Road Auto Parts didn't have the part we needed for one of the mechanic shops that we dealt with, I would get to go to another auto parts store and buy it from them. So I had went from Nolan Road Auto Parts on Nolan Road to O'Reilly Auto Parts up on 24 Highway. Busy road. I wasn't living for God like I needed to. Now, I was raised in church. My dad was a preacher, but I was a backslider for all intents and purposes at this point in my life. Driving a 1984 blue Ford F-150, not wearing my seatbelt, bench seat, lots of room to fly around. And when I pulled out of O'Reilly as I was changing the station from one rock station to another rock station, I'm looking down at the radio, not paying attention, and the engine cut off. And the radio cut off. Everything went completely silent. Just, just boom. No spitting, no stuttering, no sputtering. Just boom. Totally off. Of course, that causes me to look up. And when I looked up, sitting in front of me, I'm going this way and sitting crossways in the road in front of me was another vehicle that had tried to go out there in traffic didn't allow them to get all the way across, and they were sitting there in my lane. I'm not wearing a seatbelt. Not living for God like I should. And the moment I looked up, the radio came on. The engine started back up. I didn't call on Jesus. 
I'm not even paying attention. I was getting ready to have an accident that would have taken my life, and I had no idea it was coming. And when I looked up, I was able to hit the brakes and stop in time. But if your view of God is this, He's just waiting on you to make a mistake. I'm not sure I can trust Him. If that was really true, I wouldn't be here today. And the reality is, you wouldn't be here today. There wouldn't be a church here today. And for many of you, you wouldn't be serving God today if I had ended my life some 32 years ago. But understand, God is a God we can trust. He is a God who is faithful in the good times and the bad times. And regardless of what we're doing, God loves us. And He is wanting what is best for us. And He knew I was going to get my act together. And He knew I was going to commit my life to serving Him. And He knew I would be here today. And He knew that you would be here today. He is a God that we can trust. And if you believe you can trust Him, would you give Him a hand clap of praise for that? We can trust His faithfulness. We can also trust His wisdom. Gideon's response is just like so many others who are called by God in the Bible. Before he preached to you about Moses, Moses' response to God is like, are you talking to me? I can't talk very good. I I have this speech problem. I can't go and stand before Pharaoh. God, you don't know what you're doing. Or, it's like Jeremiah, God, you can't be calling me. Gideon's like, you you can't be calling me, I'm the least of the least. My family's the smallest of the smallest tribe, we're of Benjamin, and we're the least family in Benjamin, and I'm the least of my family, you can't be calling me, but I would tell you, we can trust God's wisdom. And what God told Jeremiah when Jeremiah said, God, you, you can't be calling me. He says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. And I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. God is in charge and He knows what He's doing. And anytime we think that we know better, we're always wrong. God always knows what's best. And God always knows what He's planning. And God always is wise. Thirdly, we can trust His, I'm going to give you a big word, we can trust His eminence. Maybe a better word would be this, we can trust His presence. In theological terms, the fact that God is far beyond us, that means He is transcendent. But the fact that this God who is far beyond us and is everywhere and He's transcendent, The opposite of that is imminence, and that means He's right here close. He's everywhere, and He's way beyond us, but He's also right here and up close. Which is why we can feel His presence, because He is the God who is close. He is the God who is imminent. And Gideon's question is this, can I trust that it's really you? How do I know that it's really you that's talking to me? How can we recognize God's voice? I've preached about this before. We serve a God who speaks. In fact, the Bible would make this distinction between 
God and idols. God is not like an idol made with hands who has ears but cannot hear. He's not like an idol that we make that has eyes and we, but they cannot see. He's not like the idols that people would make who has a mouth but cannot speak. God would say, I'm not like those. And it's the craziest thing in the world. that somebody, I'll just take this bottle for now, but that you would, you could take a piece of wood or gold or whatever and you could carve it out. You could make it and go, oh, that's my God. That makes so little sense. I mean, who would do that other than the millions in the Bible? God says, I'm not like these things that are made with human hands because my eyes really see. And, And my ears, they really hear. And my mouth, it really speaks. And I am the God who speaks and I can communicate with you and I can talk with you. And when you pray, I can hear you and I can respond to you and I can work on your behalf. I am a God who has power. He is up close and personal and He speaks to us. He speaks to it. Excuse me, he speaks to us through his word and he speaks to us through preaching like what I'm doing now. And he speaks to us through the gifts of the spirit where he gives a message to people who are gathered in a place that supernaturally he's speaking and he speaks in dreams and he speaks in visions. He speaks in a still small voice or just the impressions that we get. He is a God who speaks. And God is there waiting for us to respond to His Word. He's waiting for us to hear His voice. Anthony would come to the piano. Lastly, we must trust His integrity. God, it's really you, okay? But can I really believe that you're going to be with me? I've decided that it's really you. I've decided that you speak, and I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm really to step, willing to step out in faith. But I want to know, Gideon says, that you're really going to do what you said you would do. Later on, the same chapter, Gideon has that same question, how can I know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do? And God has told Gideon, he says, get all this food together and put this stuff out. Just watch what I do. And he puts the food out on the stone and fire falls from heaven and consumes it. Gideon's like, yeah, right. So he does the first thing that God commands him, which is to tear down the groves and tear down the high places. And he does it in the dark of night because he doesn't want people to know it's him. 
God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I just don't want people to know that I'm stepping out. I just don't want people to know it's me because they probably won't understand. And then God ups the ante. You've done that. I helped you do it. I've proven myself with the fire consuming the food. Now I want you to go and destroy Midian. Well, that's a little too much. Sneaking around at night, tearing down a few idols. Huh? That's more my style, God. I can, I'm willing to do that. I don't know about this Midian stuff. And God had already told him the last verse or two that I read. You're going to destroy them like you're fighting just one man. It's going to be like all of Israel against one man. I don't know, God. So he says, Lord, I tell you what I want you to do. It's to prove that I can trust you and prove that you're really going to be with me. And prove that you really want me to do this. We'll put a fleece out. I'll put this animal skin out, Lord. And I may get them backwards, but I'm going to do both of them. That's what he said. God, make it that when the dew comes, the fleece is wet, everything else is dry. Wakes up in the morning, the fleece is the only thing, this sheepskin is the only thing. All right, Lord, let's do it the other way. Let's make everything else dry and the fleece wet. And he fleeces God twice. I don't have time to read the passage, but here's ultimately what I want you to understand. We serve a God that you can trust. We serve a God that speaks to us. We serve a God that wants to be in relationship with us. We serve a God that wants to do great and mighty things in our life here today. We must trust His faithfulness. Trust His wisdom. Trust His eminence. And trust His integrity. But most importantly, we must trust Him for our salvation. None of the rest of it matters if we're not in this saving relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I talked a little bit about trust in Sunday school today. And and I, I won't rehash all of that. But if you believe God and His Word, hell is real and heaven is real. That we are designed to live forever. That when we die, it's just the separation of our inner man from this physical body. But we're going to live forever somewhere. And if you
you understand the ramifications of what that means, there's only one choice to make. And that is, I want to go to heaven to be with Jesus. Anything else is not an option for me. Anything else is it's not, it's not on the radar. The only option is I'm going to trust Him. And if I could tell you in the words of Pascal's wager, Pascal was a French mathematician and theologian. And he put it this way. He said, if you live like there is a God, and when you die, you find out there isn't, have lost nothing. But if you live like there isn't a God and you die and find out there is one, you have lost everything. So it's not really a question. There's only one choice. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him when He speaks. I'm going to trust Him when He tells me to do things I don't think are possible. I'm going to trust that He's close up to me. I'm going to trust that He's as close as the mention of His name. I'm going to trust that what He says about salvation, that all I have to do is put my trust in Him and repent, turn from my sins and be baptized in the only saving name, the name of Jesus, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and live for Him, and I will spend an eternity with Him. That's the only, that's the only option. I'm going to trust that He's going to do that. Would you stand together today? What I'm asking you to do today is this. Put your trust in Him. Listen for His voice. Trust His integrity. Trust that He speaks. And whatever He speaks, walk in that. Obey it. Live that. If that's your desire, would you just make your way to the front as a step of faith and a sign of your declaration to Him. God, I'm, I'm going to trust You. I'm going I'm to serve You. God, no matter what's going on, no matter what the problems of life are, God, I'm going to put my trust, my faith in you.